So turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. I'm taking a break from Jeremiah. God spoke to me from 2 Peter chapter 3, a message that, uh, that I think we need to hear today. And so I'm going to read 12 verses here in just a second. Talking to you guys, men, are you out there? Uh, husbands, are you out there? So have, have you ever gotten a call from your wife, you're, you're about to leave work or you're headed home and she says, hey, will you stop by the store and don't you love it, Yeah. And you say, okay, babe, what do you need? And she lists two or three things, just basic stuff. And, and she said, are you writing this down? And you say, no, but I got it. I got it. And she says, okay, but there's one more thing. And whatever you do, don't forget this one thing. Because I need this one thing more than I need those other things. Has she ever done that to you? Okay. And so you say, okay, what is it? She gives you that one thing. And then you get to the store. I don't know what it is. I think, I think all grocery stores have a conspiracy against husbands, number one. But they really do against preachers. And I don't know what it is, but they know that, you know, the, the night before they say, Pastor Will's going to come in today, tomorrow. And so let's rearrange everything in the store. Huh? You know? Because I go in there and it seems like everything's been moved around. I don't know where anything is. I'm cornfused about where to go and I'm looking and, and I'm trying to get all the stuff. And after about an hour and a half, you know, I finally make it back home and I unpack the things, happy with myself that I did it. And then she says, where is the one thing? Can anybody relate to that? Are y'all even out there? Who, who can relate to that? You, you forget the one thing. And you would think with me after 34 years of doing this, I would remember the most important thing is the thing she wants the most and I better bring it home. Anyway, the one thing appears in our passage today. And when I read it in verse number 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3, it just spoke to my heart. So here we are. We're going to read this passage and try to explain it. And apply it to our lives today. Here's what Peter says to Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read out of the New King James. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, get this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. But He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness?" Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. Speak it into our lives. Lord, as I try to say it on the outside, you say it in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all through the Bible, it is telling us that we are living in the last days. And this third chapter of 2 Peter is one of the great chapters in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He begins in verse number 1 warning us not to forget some very important things. Verse number 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. In other words... Peter isn't necessarily going to give us any new information here. He's reminding us of things that we already know. And by the way, that is much of what preaching is. Because we forget so easily, don't we? I mean, I forget between the phone call and walking in the grocery store, okay? So we forget things easily. And a good deal of what I'm supposed to be doing as your pastor every Sunday is stirring up your minds to remember the things of God. Many of those things you learned when you were just a little kid. Now look at verse number 2. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of our Lord and Savior. In other words, he says, you are to remember these two very important things. There are two things you need to write down and you need to remember. What are they? The words of the Old Testament. And number two, the words of the New Testament. When Peter refers to the words spoken in the past by holy prophets... He's talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and by extension all 39 books of the Old Testament. And when he refers to the words spoken by Jesus Christ and the apostles, he's referring to the gospels and those apostolic letters that make up our New Testament. Here Peter is setting his seal of approval on the inspiration and the authority on both the Old Testaments and the New Testament. And church, he is telling us that if we want to live successful lives in this modern world, that we need to remember these two things, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I have to amen that, 
Okay, listen to me. I know that we're living in the real world with modern problems, and some of you are thinking, well, that's just the book of antiquity. No, it's not. This is the living Word of God. So when we open up this book and we read it, it is as if God himself is speaking it to us because it's alive. This book lives. It is our manual on living. So whatever problems that you're dealing with, the Bible has the answer to those problems. You just need to go and read it. So it's very imperative that you have a daily quiet time when you read God's Word and that you come to church so that I can stir up your remembrance to the things according to God's Word. And and then he goes on in a way that kind of surprises me. Because what he does in verse 3 is introduce a question that is being asked by the scoffers and the skeptics of his day. In fact, I've called this a skeptical question. He says in verse number 3, First of all, you must understand that in the last days... Okay, let's just pause right there and let me say a word about the last days because this whole paragraph resounds with the last days. That is the Greek word from which we get our English word eschatology from. It is a study of the last things or a study of the last days. It is a phrase that appears five times in the New Testament. And it seems to refer to this present dispensation that we are living in. It refers to the age of grace, the age of the church, the the years between the day of Pentecost when the church was born and the coming rapture when Jesus Christ comes back and takes this church of his off of this planet. Now, Peter says that we can be sure of one thing about these last days, that there will be skeptics and scoffers who belittle and ridicule and seek to marginalize the teachings of God's Word. Why are they asking this question about the Lord's return? Well, it's simply because they willingly reject the entirety of the Word of God. Okay, So are you with me? Let's go back now and look at verse 3. Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded by water." Now, I know that that sounds complicated, and you're probably thinking, what in the world is Peter talking about? Well, what Peter is talking about is Noah, the ark, and the flood. That's what he's referring to, God's day of judgment, when God completely annihilated everyone living on earth, and the only people that survived were Noah and his family on the ark. He's talking about the flood. And what's interesting to me is that this is not the only time Peter refers to Noah and the flood. 
in his two epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, he refers to the flood three times. The first time is in 1st Peter chapter 3, verse 20. He says, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And then in 2 Peter 2.5, he says, If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but saved Noah, one of eight people, who was a preacher of righteousness. And then here in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, he refers to the world being destroyed again through the flood. I really don't know what all was going on in Peter's mind But I've got an idea that Peter was thinking back to the days in which he walked with Jesus and heard Jesus from his own lips talk about this great flood. Remember what Jesus said? He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I come again. Hmm? Now, what of the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, all the people forgot about God. In fact, if you go back and read it, they started thinking about immoral sex all day long and all night long. And the society became very sensual and degraded, and through that they became very violent. If they had had televisions back then, they would probably have invented some kind of the same kind of programming that we watch on our televisions today. That's how morally degraded they were, or perhaps how morally degraded we are. There was dishonesty and thievery and an overall lack of the fear of God in their culture. And for many years, while Noah was working on the ark, building the ark, he was preaching a message of warning, but nobody listened to him. I mean, absolutely nobody responded to what he preached. He did not have a single convert during his entire ministry. And then suddenly, the day came. Noah and his family entered the ark, and God is the one who closed the door. Why? Because the game was over. The time was gone. The rain began to fall. The floods came. The ark rose. And people were scratching on the door of the ark trying to get in. Why? Couldn't they get in? Because it was too late. Listen to me, church. They had passed redemption point. And God said no more. And here's the point. Here's the point. Both Jesus and Peter are telling us that it is going to be exactly like that when Jesus Christ comes again. Right now is a season of preaching and pleading and warning. Preachers like me and concerned believers like you are all the time telling people, you know what, you need to be born again. The most important thing that you can do during this life is be saved. You need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Come to Christ today. Change the way that you're living. Let Jesus Christ be both your Savior and your Lord. Why do we do that? Because we know that one day soon, any day, very soon, the door is going to be shut 
and God's judgment is going to fall on planet earth. Just listen to the way Peter puts it in verse number 7. He said, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction on ungodly men. It's interesting that our military has a laser-guided missile known as a hellfire missile. It's pretty destructive. But here's what I want you to know. Long before our military invented that hellfire missile, God made one. And he has it reserved in heaven. And at the end of time on this earth, our planet is going to be destroyed by fire. And all who are outside of Jesus Christ are going to be judged. But you know what? Since the scoffers and skeptics are belittling the warnings of God in the Bible, they just continue to go around asking the same questions today that they ask in Peter's time. Where is his coming? You can't mean to tell me that you believe in this Jesus, do you? You don't really think that he is alive and he is physically coming back to earth again, do you? You don't really believe this supernatural nonsense, do you? Why hasn't he come yet? Where is his coming? Well, that question deserves a good answer. And it brings us to our passage for today. Here is the scriptural answer for the skeptic's question. Peter introduces the answer by saying this in verse number 8. But do not forget this one thing. Okay? Everybody look at it. Don't forget this one thing. Now, Christians in every generation have expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. I believe that, don't you? I mean, really, from a little kid, this was drilled into my head. So I can remember out in Midland, Texas, when we'd get on the road and drive around. Of course, there were no trees to block my view. So I could just look out the window and see the clouds. But I would look up at the clouds and I would think to myself consciously, this is a little boy, seven years old. I would be thinking to myself, well, I wonder if today is the day he's going to bust open that sky and come back for us. And if you haven't been thinking about that lately, I'd encourage you to start thinking about it. Because you know what? It could be today. Jesus could come back at any time. But he hasn't come yet. So I'm here to tell you, we need a good answer. Not only for the scoffers, but we need a good answer for our own souls regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here it is. Peter not only gives us one answer to that question, but he literally gives us two answers to the question, why hasn't Jesus come back? First, the first reason Jesus hasn't come back is because God doesn't calculate time the way you and I calculate time. Look at verse number 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Now, we view time from the context of time. That's the only way we know to view it. I mean, 60 seconds is a 
How many minutes are in an hour? Some of y'all forgot that. There's, okay. How many hours are in a day? 24. That's our day. That's what we live by. But God views time from the context of eternity. And from that context, it isn't much difference between a day and a millennium. It's like when you're flying in an airplane 20 or 30,000 feet over the ground and you look down and you can't distinguish between a hill and a mountain. Okay? Are you with me? God's perception of time is from the perspective of eternity. And a day and a thousand years are just about the same. That means that to God... This 2,000 years of Christian history, this age of grace, this age of the church, this age of preaching the gospel has only lasted for (laughs) two days. Now, I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but try to. One day is like 1,000 years, 1,000 years like one day to God. Now Peter goes on to give us a second reason as to why Jesus hasn't returned. What is it? It's simply because he's giving people like you and me time to repent. Well, thank God for that. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow or slack in keeping his promises, as some people understand slowness. But he is patient with you. Now, when I read this out of the New King James Version, it used the word long-suffering. We don't use that word much anymore, but I really like it because that is exactly what God is with us. He's long-suffering. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Church, that is the heart of our God. Can you applaud that? That's the heart of God. Listen to me. He is not some mean dictator sitting on the throne of the universe waiting to annihilate each and every one of us. Not at all. God loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for us so that we would not spend eternity in hell, but that we could spend eternity in heaven With him. Oh, praise the Lord. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this God is waiting for you to be saved. God is waiting for you to get right with him. He is delaying his coming in order to give some people a little more time to get right with Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches that there is an almighty God who created this universe and each one of us. The Bible also teaches that he loves us and he's got a great plan for our lives, but we've got a big problem. And the Bible puts it like this, we are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So instead of following God's plan for our life, we think our plan is better. And instead of following his word, we follow our way. And as we are following our way, we are getting further and further and further away from God. And then we find ourselves in a place that is alienated from God. And it's not a good place to be in. 
Because the Bible goes on to say that in our sins, we are dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are dying in our sins. But you know what? God's not given up on us. God loves us so much, he became a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He died in our place on a cruel cross on Calvary's hill. And he rose again for us the third day. And he calls on each of us to repent of our sins and to confess Jesus as Lord of our lives. He calls on us to do it not tomorrow, not next week, but he calls on us to do that today. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Church, if I know one thing and one thing only, it is this one thing that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. It could be today. It might be tomorrow. In fact, none of us know the exact day or hour that Jesus is coming. That's the way it is supposed to be. That's the way God wants it to be. You don't know when he's coming. In fact, look at verse 10. He describes it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How many of you have ever had your house broken into? It's a bad feeling, isn't it? I mean, really, you've been violated. Did you know that thief was coming? Let me tell you, if I knew that a thief was coming to my house, I would give him a warm welcome. He wouldn't believe, he wouldn't believe the kind of welcome I would give him. And then I would pray over his body. <laughs> Are you with me? We don't know when thieves are going to break in. And God is saying, that's the way it's going to be with my son's second coming. It's going to be when you least expect it. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, I find it quite remarkable. Because it tells us that Jesus Christ in his long-suffering and patience, is delaying his return to this earth just a little bit longer to give people like you and me a few extra moments to repent of our sins and to confess him as Lord of our lives. Here in just a moment, we're going to have what we call an invitation, and I am going to invite you to come to him today. To confess him as Lord of your life today. So to get ready for that, I'm just what's keeping you from doing that, man? I mean, he's coming again. You, you need to make sure you are on the ark of salvation. Because if not, oh my lance. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. Or maybe we do want to talk about it. I can remember years ago reading the story of James Ted Colson. We call him Ted Colson. Ted grew up in a, in a Christian home, a Baptist uh, home. His parents drug him to church every Sunday. He didn't like to go. And so when he became a teenager, he rebelled. He started drinking and partying and just ran as far away from God as he possibly could and away from that Baptist way of life that he had been brought up in. Then he was drafted into World War II. 
when he was in San Diego about to get on a ship for deployment, every one of those GIs were given a pocket New Testament. And Ted, like everybody else, took the New Testament and he stuck it in his pocket. And, and he, it, it, it caused him to start thinking about his childhood. And he thought to himself, you know, I, I wonder if I can remember any of those verses those Sunday school teachers tried to drill into my head when I went to that Baptist church. I, I, can I remember any of them? And you know what? He remembered one verse. And he said it to himself. It was, it was Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And Ted thought to himself, I wonder why I can remember that one verse and no other verses. Huh. <laughs> Fast forward a couple of years. He's at Guadalcanal. He found himself under intense bombardment. The Japanese were, were shelling around the clock and Coulson had dug a foxhole under a tree the day before. And, and, and now come this heavy, intense period of naval shelling. So he and his buddy, Kenneth Pauls, jumped into that foxhole. And the minute they hit the bottom of it, they heard this shell whistling across the air and it landed right in front of their foxhole. Now Ted had seen these shells explode. And he knew that if that shell exploded, he and Kenny were going to be annihilated. He thought to himself, you know what? This could be the moment I die. And then this somber thought hit him. If I die, I'm going to hell. And without another moment's hesitation, he yelled over to his buddy, Kenneth Pauls, during that heavy shelling, and he shouted, Kenny! I want you to know I'm confessing Jesus as my Savior. <laughs> well, it didn't take very long for Kenny to yell back, So am I, Ted. <laughs> Ted Colson survived World War II. But let me tell you, he never forgot the confession he made in that foxhole. And when he came back to the United States, he was on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did some great things in the kingdom of God. Church, I'm going to ask you this morning, if you haven't done it already, would you give your life to Jesus? Would you confess Jesus as your Savior? Oh, I know what the scoffers said in Peter's day, and I know they're still saying it today. Where is this second coming that you Christians keep talking about? From the days of antiquity, everything has pretty much stayed the same. There is no supernatural intervention from heaven. You really don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming to earth again, do you? But Peter says these scoffers willingly ignore the fact that in an earlier age, God judged the sinfulness of this world by sending a flood that annihilated in judgment all of the ungodly. And he goes on to say that they don't realize that he is going to do the exact same thing in the future. For the heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men and women. And guys, let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you believe that or don't believe it. If you accept it or reject it, you're not going to change it. It is going to happen. So don't listen to the skeptics.
Don't listen to the scoffers. I mean, God gives us two really good answers to the question of why Jesus has delayed his return. First of all, God doesn't reckon time the way we do. And number two, he is delaying his coming to give somebody like you or me ample opportunity to repent of our sins and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord of our life. And maybe you're here for that reason today. Have you, have you done that? I mean, do you know for sure in your heart right now that you've been saved? That you've asked Jesus into your life? Do you know for sure that if he comes back today or if you die before you go to bed tonight, do you know for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? You say, well, preacher, nobody can know that. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, we can be saved. So you can know. I want to make sure that you know. Because let me tell you, I do not want... I do not want you to be left out of the ark of salvation. I do not want any of you to go to hell. So, have you been saved? And what about the rest of us who have confessed Jesus? Are we living the life? I'm going to end with verses 10 and 11 because at the end there's a pretty good question for the rest of us. He says, for the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. Did you get that? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This is going to happen. So what kind of a person should you be? Well, we can just go back to the very first of this chapter. You're the kind of person who believes the Bible. You believe in the Old and New Testament. And you know what? You're living it. That's the kind of person you ought to be. Does that make sense? So I've got to ask you, what kind of person are you? Dude, Jesus is coming back. And if it is today, if it's right now, when he does come back and he looks at your life, Are you going to be the kind of person that brings him joy and say, hey, that's one of mine. (laughs) Proud of that guy. Or, if you're really honest with yourself right now, would you have to say, you know, preach, there's some things in my life that wouldn't please the Lord if he came back, and and I need to straighten those things out. You know, here's the time where I don't have to come back there and sit beside you and whisper into your ear. That's not my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you something? If you're that person, he's doing it right now to you. So, two aspects of this invitation. If you've never been saved, I invite you to come and receive Jesus as your Savior today. If you don't know how to do that, we'll, we'll show you from the Bible how you can do that. For the rest of us, answer the question, are we that kind of person? What kind of person ought you to be? Well, the kind of person that brings a smile to my father's face. So are you that person? I I told the first service people, you know what? It's going to be kind of a struggle whether you go to the altar or not today because if you walk down there, you're probably going to think, everybody's going to think, man, what's he hiding? 
Dude, can I tell you something? From this passage today, every one of us ought to be at the altar right now. Because I'm sure for all of us, there's at least one thing that we need to square away with the Lord. And, and if you are that person who's got it all squared away, well, brother, would you come pray for the rest of us? Besides all that, I guarantee you there are family members and friends that you have right now who are not ready. They've not accepted Jesus. And if he comes back today, they're going to split hell wide open. God doesn't want that. So why don't you come and pray for them? Lord, how